Now, tonight I want to begin with just a, a brief overview, if I can do where we have been, so that anybody who's, you know, we've skipped every, every, every two or three weeks, we skip a week or two, you know? So just anybody that might not be aware of where we are, let me just sort of bring you along. Uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to give you the highlights out of these chapters, and I'm going to give you every detail. In chapter 1, you see the resurrected Christ, but you don't see the meek and mild resurrected Christ of the Gospels. You see him as the resurrected Christ who's ready to execute judgment. Uh, his wrath is about to be poured out against the rebellion of mankind. In chapters 2 and 3, you meet the seven churches that received the revelation. In other words, what John writes from the Isle of Patmos is to be taken to these seven churches. And five of the seven uh, have negatives and positives. Two of them have only positives and no negatives. Uh, but they are the churches that receive uh, the, the revelation. Chapters 4 and 5, John is caught up into heaven. Uh, sort of what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Corinthians, whether he's in the body or out of the body, we don't know. Uh, but uh, he's caught up into heaven. He sees a, a lot of interesting things in heaven, but most importantly, he sees God sitting on his throne. He has in his right hand a scroll, but they can't find anybody who's worthy to open that scroll. John is crying. He's weeping. You know, who's going to open this scroll? Who's going to open this scroll? And then he sees the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain, that is alive again. And the Lamb goes, that's Jesus, goes and takes the scroll out of the Father's hand. And he breaks the first seal. That's chapter 6. Now, we've been through <clears throat> six of the seven seals. Uh, there was uh, Cold War, the White Horse, the uh, the, um, there's just open war, there's famine, there's death, there's martyrdom, there's physical disturbances, th these various things. All of this is taking place in the first 21 months of the tribulation. You're moving toward the midpoint. But it, all of these are the six different seals. Each time he breaks a seal, he reads about another judgment that's coming. And uh, those were the six judgments. The seventh seal will reveal seven more judgments. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But those six seals are found in, uh, in uh, chapter 6. Before we get to chapter, uh, chapter 8, by the way, chapter 6 is the six seals. Chapter 7, the chronology stops. You've been moving along with these different, you know, the, the, uh, the white horse and the black horse and the pale horse and so forth. You've been moving along, and chronology's been moving forward, but when you get to chapter 7, it stops. He says, after these things. He doesn't mean, okay, the next thing that's about to happen is, what he means is that once I'd seen this, God wants to show me something else that's not a part of the chronology. And what is that? It's the sealing of 144,000 uh, Jewish messengers. Nothing can harm them. Uh, and they're, they're at work during the first part up here. So uh, they, they had to have been sealed at the very beginning of the tribu uh, tribulation or maybe during a little break between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. Some people believe there's a break that takes place for a short period of time between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation while people sort of get their feet back under them. And then these things begin to occur whether it's in that little break or whether it's right at the very beginning, those 144,000 are sealed. Now, I, I want to show you. You got, you got your phones? You want, you want to take a picture. You want to take a picture of the next slide because you, you want to take it home with you. I, I can't print it out. It's, color, it's all color. 
and I, I don't, our, our printer will do that, and it'll cost us a fortune. So just take your phone out, zoom, not you, yeah, zoom in. <clears throat> That's a picture of the whole, of the whole um, seven years. You say, preacher, I can't see that. That's what I said, zoom in, <laughs> zoom in. Take a picture of it. You can zoom in. If you get a good, if you got a good camera, if you got one of those cheap, if you got a cheap phone, you're going to get a low resolution picture. What I want you to see is this, this period of time called the tribulation lasts seven years. That comes out of the, uh, of the book of Daniel, the Daniel's 70th week prophecy. How long is it going to last? Seven years. We know that. It's also mentioned in the Revelation how long it's going to last. But it comes out of, Daniel's 70th, uh, out of Daniel's prophecy about the 70th week. But what I want you to see, at the, at the left-hand side of the screen, you, you see the six seals. They're in green. Do you see them? Green and white and green and white and green and white. You see that? And then you get to that spot, and it says what? Interval. That's the 144,000. Chronology stops. Every time you see a blue space, chronology stops for a moment. In other words, every other chapter is moving you along. It's taking you through the, through the tribulation. You're moving one day, two days, ten days, uh, you know, two weeks, five weeks, you know, a month. You're moving along. You're moving forward. But at those three spots, you stop. We just talked about that. The ceiling of 144,000 stops the forward advance of the chronology and tells you about something that hadn't been told you before so that you can understand. How did the martyrs get into heaven? Martyrs out of the tribulation. How did they get into heaven? They had to have heard the gospel message. So there has to be somebody preaching the message so he says, wait, wait a minute, let me, let me stop and let me tell you about 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will be sharing the gospel. People believe the gospel, uh, but they will be hated. They will be hated because of the gospel, and the result will end up being um, that uh, they will be killed. They'll be martyrs. And so that's why you hear them praying uh, and asking, Lord, when are, you, when are you going to do something about this? When are you going to execute judgment? When, when is vengeance going to fall on them for what they've done to us? Now, where we're going to pick up tonight is just after that first blue interval. You're going to open one more seal, the seventh seal, and we're going to move into chapter 8, and the chronology starts again. Have I lost everybody? Okay, here's, here's what I'll do for you. Here's what I'll do for you. Are you all listening to me or to each other? I'm not a very good teacher, am I? Um, here's what I'll do. And I, you guys back in the media booth, maybe y'all will help me. If you want, I'll have to figure it out myself. You don't want me back there pushing buttons. Um, after the service, we will put that, that first, that middle slide up so you can walk down here and get a close-up picture. Okay? Are y'all with me? Can I put it on the website? We don't want, I don't think we can put it on the website, but we can put, I'll find out where we can put it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if we can put it on the website or not. I don't know anything about the website. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt Waller, can we put it on the website? Matt Waller's back in that room back there. Uh, Matt, you're, Matt's telling me yes. There you go. So you can download it. We'll turn it into a PDF and we'll put it so you can download it. See, you just got to get the people who know what they're doing. Yeah, that's not me. And so, uh, at least, I mean, 
with that kind of stuff. Um, you got, you got to know what you're doing. So Matt said, yes, we'll put it on the website. I know where it'll be. I, I know where it'll be. I already know. I just read Matt's mind. God just spoke to me, and I just heard it in my head here. When you go to the front page of the website, it says resources right over here on the far right-hand side. Click resources, and in one of those tabs down there, you'll find it. <laughs> It'll be under resources, okay? And Matt, if that's not right, before I finish, come out here and tell me I'm not right. All right, we're going to pick up the chronology. We had a pause for him to tell you about the 144,000. We're about, to, we're about to open the seventh seal. It's going to turn into seven more judgments. Now, I, I, let me say this by way of beginning. Um, um, you, what you're going to be reading tonight clearly has to be supernatural. Many of, much of it, it has to be supernatural in some fashion. There's no natural way to explain some of these things. Every year around the religious holidays like Easter and Christmas, you know, if, you, if you go to like the Learning Channel or the History Channel or some of those educational kind of channels, you know, they'll have something always during the religious seasons of the year. They'll have something where they have some scientist who's trying to explain how naturally some of the things that God did could have occurred. I think specifically the, the crossing of the Red Sea. And they set up a model of the, of the Red Sea, and they, they choose a spot where they believe there's an underground pathway. And then they set up fans, and they blow those fans hard so that the water gets pushed back. And when the water gets pushed back, it reveals that under, underwater pathway. And they say, see, this could have happened. You know, I, I love scientists. We, need, we desperately need scientists. But I don't need a naturalistic explanation to believe everything that God says that he did. You understand what I'm saying? I believe in a God that can do the miraculous. Hey, if Jesus can get up out of the grave, I don't think he's got any problem. I think he can do whatever he wants to do. I think he's got it under control. You know what I'm saying? I think he's got it under control. So some of the things we're going to read tonight, you're going to say, mm, wow, I've never heard anything like that. That's really strange. I've never seen anything like that. That's because we don't know everything that goes on in the spiritual realm, number, number one. And number two, we have to remember that there is a supernatural God. If God can make a fish, if not a whale, doesn't say it was a whale, never said it was a whale. If God can make a fish that can swallow a preacher... I'm scared. No. If God can make a fish that can swallow a preacher and keep him alive, however many feet a whale can go, a great fish can go. I don't know how many feet he can go. If God can make a fish like that, he's got no problem with me. I believe God can do anything. So some of the things we're going to read tonight, you're going to say to yourself, wow, could that really be true? Well, if you're a naturalist, and you only believe in what can be reproduced, well, first of all, you've got a problem with a lot of things in the Bible. But if you believe in a supernatural God who can do even the miraculous, then you'll understand some of the things we're talking about this evening. Now, for those of you that are just joining us, we're just reading verse by verse. We're stopping and commenting. It's, it's a running commentary. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, remember those seven seals? This is the seventh. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, here's the reason I know some of you aren't, aren't going to be in heaven. 
I, I know you're not going to be there because there's going to be at least a half hour of total silence, and there isn't any way you could be there and there'd be total silence for half an hour. Why did he talk to us about a half an hour of silence? Well, let me see if I can help you understand. I got your attention yet? There's a half an hour of silence because there is impending judgment that's about to come on mankind. And he's stopping for a moment. He's getting your attention. He wants you to pay careful attention to what he's about to say. This is the calm before the storm. Verse 2, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, these, uh, these seven angels are going to blow these trumpets. That's interesting. There's two different kinds of trumpets that are talked about in the Scripture. One is the shofar. We've had a Jewish missionary that we partner with that's been here and has played the, uh, the shofar. You don't play it, I don't think. You, you just uh, you, you blow it, and it makes a noise. There are also trumpets that are made out of silver, like we think of a trumpet being made out of silver. I played a trumpet as a kid growing up, as a teenager in the band. And uh, there are the more traditional style trumpets. What's interesting is that the word here for trumpet can refer to either one. Sometimes the word that's used specifically defines which one it is. But here it could be either one. But there's going to be trumpets that are going to be played. Verse 3, then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And suddenly, if you don't know the Old Testament, you just got lost. Because he just took you into an Old Testament reference of something that people who know the Old Testament know what he's talking about. You remember that God gave uh, Moses not only the law, uh, God gave him the pattern for the tabernacle. Remember that? Uh, the size, the, the way it's to be built, how it's to be set up, which direction it's supposed to face, how the tribes are supposed to be positioned around it. All of those details were laid out by God. You know that you came to the front of the tabernacle, you went in the tabernacle, and there's the brazen altar. That's where all the sacrifices took place. It was a bloody place. You know, you know what came next was the laver. You could wash your hands and your feet. Uh, and there, there was the need for the priests to wash their hands and the feet. But inside this courtyard, by the way, this tabernacle has this big courtyard in it. It's a big, big courtyard. It's a sort of a rectangular courtyard. Uh, you have that entrance. You come in. There's the brazen altar. Next, you find the laver. But when you get past that, then you have another inside structure. It's made out of curtains. <clears throat> It's uh, got curtains on the side, on the front, on the back, curtains that go across it. They had to be made a certain way, a certain color. Everything had to be exactly as God prescribed it. But when you went inside that inner tabernacle, you went into the holy place. And in the holy place, there's the showbread, and there's the candelabra, and there is the altar of incense. And then there's another curtain. And that curtain is like a, it's like a, it's like a wall because there's another room behind it. And behind that curtain is what? The Ark of the Covenant. What Indiana Jones has been looking at, looking for forever. That, that, the altar, the, uh, uh, the uh, what is it? No, 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 no. The Ark of the Covenant. Y'all got to help me. I'm tired. The Ark of the Covenant is back here behind that curtain. 
And uh, so that, that's how it goes. You come to the brazen altar, you come to the laver, you go inside that inner tabernacle, you got those three pieces of furniture. One of those uh, is this altar of incense. They would take fire from off the brazen altar. They would take incense. They would put the fire on the altar of incense and then pour the incense on it, put fire on this altar, and then pour the incense on it. And what's it do? It creates this smoke and this beautiful aroma that fills that inner, that inner, temp, that inner tabernacle, right? Fills that inner tabernacle. Now, that's the picture that you're reading about in, uh, what, what verse are we in? In, Acts, in uh, Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. That that's the picture. Look at it again. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. That's the altar of incense. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Before there's any blowing of any of the trumpets and the judgments that come from those trumpets, there's this angel uh, takes this, the prayers of the saints in this uh, incense, and goes back and offers it. You, you'll notice that there's three items in his hand. There's a golden censer, there's, an in, there's incense, and there are the prayers of the saints. And you understand the significance of those things in light of the Old Testament. And I'm passing a lot of stuff here. But the prayers of the saints are possibly those offered by the martyred saints. You remember the martyred saints? They were, they were praying. They were under the altar, and they were praying, Oh, God, when are you going to come and bring your judgment? Those who have wronged us and taken our lives away, when are you going to execute judgment against them? Maybe that's the prayers that are being poured, but they're rising up to God. And anytime we pray, it is a sweet savor to God. Do you get that? God loves to hear your voice. He loves to hear you talk to him. He wants you to enter into his presence. And unlike in the Old Testament when you couldn't go into the very throne room of the Almighty God or back where the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was located, that, that uh, curtain that hung between those two rooms was torn in two, and now we have boldness to go right before God. And we can talk to God uh, for ourselves. Number, verse, verse number five. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. Uh-oh. Remember the angel that was just offering the incense and the prayers on the altar of incense? You remember that filling the room with this beautiful aroma of the prayers of the saints of God? Now he takes some of the fire off of that altar, and he turns around and he throws it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. What had gone just before this? And all of a sudden, this angel, having finished pouring the prayers and the incense on that altar, he takes some of that fire and throws it at the earth. You think that's dramatic? You better believe it's dramatic. God has begun at this moment to answer the prayers of the martyred saints as the silence of heaven is broken. It's broken. And now we hear noises, and we hear thunderings, and we hear lightnings, and we, hear, and we see or feel earthquakes. And probably, though I can't say for certain, this is an electrical storm unlike anything you have ever seen in your life before. You ever seen a bad electrical storm? 
when I was teenagers playing golf at the Little Mountain Country Club. Don't get too excited. It was a nine-hole golf course, and it wasn't, you could belong to it or you could pay to, pay to play, and that's what we did. We paid to play. It's now a 27-hole golf course. But it was just around the corner from where I lived, and so I spent a lot of time there when I was a kid. And uh, we were playing golf one day, and the clouds came up, and the rain started, and we said, you know, we're on number four. Number four ends up at the clubhouse. Let's just finish out number four. We walked up on the tee, and about that time, there was a bolt of lightning probably as far as me to that column right there and hit the transformer. On that pole, that transformer blew up, and we took off running as hard as we could go up that fairway to get to the clubhouse as quickly as possible. I learned really quickly, metal golf cleats and metal golf clubs don't go well on a golf course. That's just not a good thing to do, right? 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 Right. Not a good thing to do. I learned it quickly. Well, that little thing that happened there, it doesn't even scratch the surface of that electrical storm that he's talking about, this storm that's going to result. You'll notice he goes on. It's verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. What? Hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and the the third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. It's, it's difficult to understand how there could be hail and fire mingled with blood. But again, I told you a moment ago, we have to remember, we're not looking at natural, natural phenomena. We're looking at supernatural phenomena that's taking place. And this is reminiscent of what Joel talked about in Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. In every place that's affected by this disaster, there's going to be devastation of a third of the trees and all of the grass. Now, I, I'm going to tell you that it doesn't, it doesn't take place everywhere, most everywhere, but not everywhere, because a little later you're going to see that there's still some grass that's going to be touched. But everywhere this judgment takes place, the grass is going to be burned up. A third of the trees are going to be gone. The judgment, while being worldwide in scope, must not affect every part of the earth equally, since later we're told that God will protect the remaining grass from destruction in Romans chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, a mountain burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. Now, he's, he's stricken the ground. Now he's about to strike the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Please understand that this is symbolic language that's used in verse 8. You know that because he keeps saying, like a great mountain, like a great mountain. Do you see that? One of the possible explanations for this great mountain that's been suggested is that it's a meteorite. A meteorite that falls to the earth. That's sort of how you would typically describe a meteorite coming, a large, huge meteorite coming in your direction. Another explanation of what this mountain, this great mountain is, is a nuclear warhead. We got plenty of those. 
There's going to be destruction that emanates outward from the center, and it affects one-third of the saltwater oceans of the earth. And then I was thinking about this. Can you imagine if, if an underwater earthquake can create the kind of tsunamis that we have seen occur? Can you imagine a meteorite or a nuclear warhead falling into the oceans that causes this kind of destruction? Can you imagine the kind of tsunami it would cause? It's not exactly clear why the sea becomes blood, but apparently there's some kind of chemical reaction that occurs to this meteorite that makes the water look like blood, or maybe just God's performing a miracle and he's literally turning water to blood. He doesn't have a problem doing that, does he? In Exodus chapter 7, verses 17 to 25, he turned water to blood in the past, so he has, he's got no problem doing that if he wishes to do that, or it could be some kind of chemical reaction that makes the water appear as though it's blood. But what you're looking at is God executing his judgment. Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? It's a frightening thing. Verse 10, then the third angel sounded. He blows the trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers. Now we've moved inland. We've gone from the trees and the grass. We've gone from the salt water. Now we're going to move to the fresh water. A great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the, of the rivers and on the springs of water. The judgment of God moves from salt water to the, of the oceans to the fresh water of the inlands and this great star. Maybe it's a comet. Some have suggested that this could be a comet that is falling. It apparently disintegrates as it comes through the atmosphere and as it disintegrates, all of these particles get spread out. And the result is that it pollutes them. It causes death and destruction. It may be that he has supernaturally fashioned this great star, just like he supernaturally fashioned a great fish. I don't have a problem with either one. God can use what's already here, or God can make something completely new. I absolutely believe what the Revelation says is true. Let me just stop here for a, moment, for, for a minute. I was reading uh, over the last few days about uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick. If you don't know that name, it's from another generation. He was a part of the fundamentalist and modernist controversy when they were fighting over you know, whether, whether the Bible was inspired or not, whether every word of the Bible was inspired or not, whether it's infallible or not. He was a liberal, uh, and he took the position that the Bible was not inspired. It was not God's Word. It was his unfolding plan that continues to this day. And so God is always in flux. God's always changing. And so, you know, if morality changes, then we change with it. That's sort of his position. He's, uh, he was a modernist. He was a liberal. Uh, so I just want to stop here, and I want, to, I want to tell you something. I believe every word of God is true. It's God-breathed. It's infallible. And I believe God no matter what man says. We take the word of God literally. Unless God says it's figurative, we take the word of God literally. I settled that a long time ago. I mean a long time ago that I believe the Bible from cover to cover, or as one preacher said, from kiver to kiver. 
I believe the Bible from one cover to the other cover, from Genesis 1-1. My mind is really tired tonight. Y'all forgive me. Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. I believe every word of it, every word of it. Hey, that's why I think I take preaching so seriously. This is not an unfolding story, and we can adjust it for society to make it fit. It's why I believe every Christian should care about their Bible. Because I believe when you pick up your Bible, you're listening to the inspired Word of God. You're listening to God speak to you. And you take it seriously. It bugs me to no end when people don't take the Bible seriously. They just think it's, oh, it's a good book, got a lot of good stories in it, and got some good moral truth to it, and it was a good time. You know, it was a good time then that they needed that. But we don't need that anymore. We got something new. And they, they'll criticize you. I mean, just tell you, they'll throw you under the bus. We, we've all been thrown under the bus at times. We, they'll throw you under the bus because you're following a book, they say, that's 2,000 years old. Why would you follow a book that's 2,000 years old? Because God didn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the one who created, hear the words, created man in the beginning from the dust of the earth is the same God I serve today. I hope it's the same God you serve today. And so you got this, maybe this is a, a comet that's coming through, through the sky. Maybe it's something else that's supernatural, but it causes this destruction. Verse 11, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Wormwood is a bitter desert plant that can be poisonous. And the substance of this great star, as it breaks up, is possibly a comet or maybe something supernatural. As it breaks up, it falls onto the fresh water. And what does it do? It contaminates it, and it causes sickness, and it brings death to anybody who drinks it. That means the fish life and the plant life that are sustained off of it, they're all going to die. You say, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this. I don't like it either. But this is what mankind's rebellion deserves. It's what my rebellion deserves. Fourth trumpet, verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine. And likewise, the night. This fourth angel sounds. Can you imagine? You have one-third as much sun, one-third as much moonlight, one-third as many stars that are shining at night. Uh, their capacity is diminished. That affects the temperatures. That affects plant life. That affects food growth. That affects human health. Do, do you hate winter? See how to create a conflict in a church just like just like that. I, I, I don't like the seasonal thing because I, I like a little bit of snow at Christmas and then be gone. But what I don't like more than anything is it gets dark and it's like it's dark by 4:30 or 5, and it doesn't, you know, it stays dark in the morning. And I, I want light. Right? Okay, so the rest of us are just sick, I suppose. But I like the light. Can you imagine turning down the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the effect it would have and the depression that would set in when people see the darkness occurring? Um, this dimming of earth's natural sources of light will only be temporary. 
A little bit later in Revelation 16, the sun's power will be intensified. It goes the other way. It'll be intensified as a means of God's judgment before it'll be darkened again to announce Christ's return. It's more likely that this, or it's most likely, that the, the intensity of this light will be reduced by a third for both day and night simply due to the cosmic and atmospheric disturbances. Now, you just had maybe a warhead or you had a, a meteorite hit the earth. You just had a comet or some supernatural uh, star that comes through the atmosphere, breaks up, and pollutes the water. You've got trees, a third of the trees that have died. You've got part of the grass that's died. You've got, if we, we're not probably not going to get to the next chapter, but you're going to get a bunch of humanity that dies. C can you imagine what this is like? No, you can't. Nor can I. And then the sun gets dark, darkened and the moon isn't as bright as it used to be. And there's, you know, you look up for the stars and the stars aren't there like they normally are. And some of that may be because of the atmospheric disturbances, the cosmic disturbances that have been caused by all of these things. You know what happens when a, when a, when a uh, what's those things, a uh, volcano? <laughs> when a volcano erupts and the, you know, the dust that it throws or whatever it is that they throw into the sky and you can't fly a plane through it? Or how about if you're out uh, west, which I haven't been far enough out to see this myself, but you're out west and the dust storm blows in? That's the kind of disturbance we're looking at. Maybe that's how God will darken the sun and the moon and the stars from the disturbance and the, the cosmic disturbance so that he doesn't actually change the, the sun or the, the moon or the stars, but it's disturbed in the atmosphere. Whether he literally turns it down or whether he does something in the atmosphere, the fact of the matter is the effect is the same. It should strike fear in the hearts of men and women. Verse 13, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, This is not going to be good. <laughs> woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet and of the three angels who were about to sound. There's three angels that are coming in addition to the trumpets that are still to be played. Three angels that are bringing woes. That's never a good sign. Right? Never a good sign. Thirteen times in 11 verses in Revelation, we find similar references to those called the inhabitants of the earth or those who dwell on the earth. This primarily refers to those who are unbelievers in Jesus Christ and who are about to see for themselves the full fury of God's wrath. I'm thankful I won't be here. And I don't want any of my friends to be here I don't want anybody in this city or this world to be here, but people refuse the message of the gospel. Only the gospel brings deliverance. We'll pick up chapter 9 with the fifth trumpet next week. Um, go ahead and read it. When you read those descriptions, does it shake you a bit? It should. It should. Because during those seven years, 
It's going to be hell on earth. I mean, it's going to be hell on earth as the wrath of God is poured out against the rebellion of mankind. You say, you really believe that? 100% from the soles of my feet to the top of my head in every ounce of my being. I believe that's what's going to happen. And I believe it because the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God says it. Whether I can understand it all or not doesn't matter. God doesn't need me to understand everything he does. God can do whatever God wants to do. My responsibility is to come to Jesus, accept his forgiveness and his pardon, be given the gift of eternal life and be ready to meet the Lord so that I don't have to go through that period of time.